0: This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society, Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org.
1: This is Dwight Schultz. I played Reginald Barkley, otherwise known as Broccoli, on Star Trek Next Generation and Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM.
0: Earl Grey hot. Huh?
2: Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host Justin Ozer, and join with me today are Amy Nelson and Richard Marquez. Amy, how are you doing today?
0: Well, I'm doing good. Another day, another week. Can't complain.
2: All right, excellent. Richard, how are you doing?
3: I'm doing fantastic. Um, I got two days off, so I'm good to go. All
2: right. That's always good. Yeah. So, so listeners, we do have a special uh, interview with uh, Dwight Schultz coming up, who played uh, Lieutenant Barclay on Star Trek The Next Generation and Voyager. But first, we wanted to make sure, as always, to go into your feedback from the Babel Conference. In this case, it's for episode 220, where we had our Trek Madness crossover with uh, Standard Orbit for TNG season seven and TOS season three. And that was the second part where the first part was on standard orbit. We received lots of feedback. We're glad the listeners loved it. We can't read all of the feedback, unfortunately, but picked out a few things uh, that uh, you might be interested in. So Amy, did you wanna read the first comment?
0: Yes, this is from Patrick Carlin and he says, I do like Gambit, but the Enterprise Incident is the clear winner for me there too. It's one of my top ones for TOS. And Star Trek Continues follows up on it too. One thing I really like in Gambit is the different dynamic in the Enterprise command structure with Data in Command and Worf as his first officer. I especially like the scene of them in the ready room. Yeah, Gambit is great. um, And you're right, to highlight that different command structure, something we don't normally see on the Enterprise D. Yeah,
2: and I think... Pretty much, that's about the only time you really see Worf as the first officer in like a real timeline, not alternate. Yeah, or something not like parallels. That. So that's really cool. Yeah, not parallels. Right, exactly. So that's really cool to see. And um, yeah, glad you enjoyed the episode, Patrick. Uh, so Brian Irwin said this was such a fun episode. It was great to hear the team from Standard Orbit join you. Some of those matchups were really close for me as well. Although I would have gone with the Savage Curtain, though, as it is one of my favorite episodes. Richard must have gazed upon a Medusan from Is There in Truth No Beauty to have turned on all good things. I think a fitting punishment is to have Wesley Crusher put a formal reprimand in his record for that one. <laughs>
0: Agreed. Hear, hear.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry, Richard. I know you took some flack for <laughs> my choosing David Dove over all good my things. My
3: PR response is that, mm-hmm, go ahead and try My unofficial is... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, yeah, no, it was great. Uh, it was great. Uh, I absolutely, I, I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind the Richard bashing. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's all in good they, they fun.
2: <laughs> it's it's all in good fun. And actually, I do really appreciate your courage in doing that because it was totally unexpected, and I think left us shocked for a while. I- so. You yes, su- surprised us.
0: Very much <laughs> so. Yeah,
2: I almost blew... A, uh, Amy almost blew a gasket.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Still thinking about it now gets my heart racing. <laughs> Which would
2: have been funny yeah. to
3: see that. I'm like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> uh,
2: well, moving on. Richard, you have the next comment. <laughs> um,
3: yeah. Randy Evans said, uh, Great concept. Enjoy both episodes. The rankings used were interesting. I doubt the majority of the fans would put Day of Dove any higher than third at best. In season three's to, uh, TOS, likewise, no uh, no way gambit is above Pegasus. Pegasus gets the nod for Picard's uh, speech alone. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, <laughs> thanks for your comments. As we said, it was from Trek Ranks, and that's based on a you know specific person's uh, feelings about these episodes. So, but it was an interesting framework to get us all together discussing yeah. them. So.
0: Well, Luke Sims Jenkins says, love this one too, especially since my two season three uh, TOS favorites, World is Hollow and Battlefield, One. I don't suppose it's sort of thing that can be done with DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise. You can even do episodes pit- pitting the best TOS season and the best TNG season together. Mind you, for me, that's season two of TOS and four of TNG, but I'll take one versus three.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks for the comment. I'm mean, glad people are so enthusiastic. They're trying to put together crossovers in the future, and you know, we'll, we'll see what we come up with. I really think we should go up against uh, Voyager. <laughs> Just because. <laughs> it would be interesting how you would frame that one. Could, could be a seven-parter, one against one, two against two, three you go. <laughs> no. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I really appreciate the enthusiasm. Thanks for all the comments. We're so glad that you enjoyed that crossover episode. All right, so I know we're excited for it, so Amy, Richard, should we go into the interview?
0: Yes, so excited to get to talk with Dwight Schultz.
3: Let's
2: go. (laughs) Today on Earl Grey, we have a very special guest, Dwight Schultz, who played Lieutenant Reginald Barclay on five episodes of The Next Generation, the movie First Contact, and six episodes of Voyager. Dwight, thank you for joining us today. It is my great pleasure.
1: Thank you very, very much for inviting me.
2: Thank you. Well, it's our pleasure. We're excited to have you here. So let me just... My my
1: first... uh, I'm sorry. I just want you all to know this is my first uh, roundhouse podcast. I listen to a lot of them. This is my first participation.
2: Wow. This is your first participation in a podcast. Wow. Very cool. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Excellent. Well, so so glad that, that you're here. So let me just start out by asking you, how did your acting career start?
1: Boy, it started at about five years old in front of a television. (laughs) I wore a spot out uh, on the carpet. And um, I was particularly interested in Red Rider, the cowboy. Um, And um, the original Red Rider, which is Wild Bill Elliott, when Rocky Lane, who took over the part, came on. I used to throw tantrums, according to my mother and father, uh, and I, I, I was hooked on show business from about the age of five, uh, and uh, it never left me. It, it, it simply never left me. The, uh, the, the, the motion picture, I went to motion pictures. My parents took me to motion pictures when I was very young, uh, and I became hooked into sci-fi horror at a very young age. Uh, and, uh, at about the age of 12, of course, back then it, things were very safe. Actually, I, I was going to motion pictures in downtown Baltimore by myself, then getting on buses and going to Philadelphia and Washington. Uh, I was, uh, entranced by the entertainment business, television, film, uh, uh, motion pictures, everything. I, 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 I was involved very early on and I never left.
3: Wow. Wow. Downtown Baltimore?
1: <laughs> That's
3: crazy. Downtown
1: Listen, look, I, when I went down there, you could get on the streetcar and they'd leave you off in front of the town theater or the Hippodrome Theater or the Mayfair Theater uh, where you'd see 70mm six-track stereo and uh, get back on the streetcar and you'd be home. Wow. Uh, and it was safe. It was safe.
3: Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm sorry, then. this is outside of the questions, but I've been to Baltimore for training and they told us our safety briefing not to be outside at night.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it, it has become of course the murder capital of the world now, yeah which is a sad sad thing i it breaks my heart yeah to think about it but um i went to school uh, there um i had very happy memories uh of being of being raised in baltimore and um i went to to college at Towson state university which is just outside of baltimore and, um, got my theater training there and, and I worked at center stage in Baltimore, my first, uh, some of my first jobs were there. So it's, um, I have very happy memories, but it has turned into, uh, cause I still listen to uh, radio out of Baltimore since the miracle of uh, cell phones and the internet. Uh, I keep closed tabs and, uh, it's, uh, it's very, very sad what has happened. Yeah.
3: Okay, so uh, on to happier news. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, were you always a Star Trek fan uh, when you, land, uh, were you I'm sorry, were, or were you a Star Trek fan when you landed the part for uh, Barclay for the Next Generation?
1: Oh, huge! I, I, I was always. A, uh, look, look, I'm one of the original Trekkies, I guess. So I was the the first uh, television program that I watched on our first color TV. that was it my father got a color tv in in the late 60s and and the very first i waited and waited until star trek was on and i watched it and i I wrote one of the letters when it was taken off the air but uh, we yeah yeah we um the the other high school students college uh, people in college we used to talk about almost every episode because they were philosophical and sociological and uh, we loved them, and, and sci-fi, of course. So uh, you, it, it was it was something you could talk about endlessly. Every episode, unlike Flipper, which you couldn't <laughs> talk about endlessly. <laughs> so, uh, although I I must admit that uh, now that I know dolphins actually can talk, it's uh, quite something. But uh, but yes, I was a huge Star Trek fan. Never in my life ever imagined that I would ever appear or meet uh, some of those fabulous people on that show. Never thought, and and meet Gene Rottenberry. I never thought I would ever meet. Most of my life, I never thought would happen. So uh, I feel very, very fortunate.
0: Very good. Well, we um, asked our listeners, if they had any questions that they wanted to ask you. And so we have Wes Huntington, is interested to know if it was your decision to play Barclay as a shy character or did you actually want him to be a confident Starfleet officer?
1: No, it was um, the, the script was brilliant because uh, the script placed an ordinary everyday fan on the deck of the Enterprise who was overwhelmed uh, by where he was and that was written into the script. There, there was no getting around that. And then, of course, his fantasy world was in the holodeck. So you had to have the contrast. So no, no, that was in the script. Uh, and I, it was, um, my good fortune, uh, to have that character given to me. Uh, I have had very few characters given to me in my life, very few roles given to me. And, um, I was, Uh, When I read it, I thought, "Oh my heavens! You know what a what a brilliant idea they've had." And uh, I had no idea that it would go on for more than one episode. So, again, it's you just don't know. And so I I was, uh, and it didn't start off well. (laughs) So, uh, the the director thought I was too gay. Oh, Uh, (laughs) which I never thought I was gay, and I had a little bit of an argument with him. I said, "I'm not gay." shy hmm. i'm shy what is that i mean what does that have to uh, no it's not he's you know he a, a, at any rate that's because they shot the very last scene first so they never see the progress you know even the director doesn't see the progression of the character and you you know that's the problem with uh film hmm. and television it's all oh, out of sequence, sequence yeah and um yeah, you have to keep the script in your head all the time. Even directors and the poor directors in television, you know, they they are under the gun and have um, don't have a lot of time to actually think about characters, particularly a new one that is being introduced. Um, and so they make instant decisions. But uh, after the first set of dailies, Gene Roddenberry said, "No, no, no, that's good." So, <laughs> wow. so uh, I felt very relieved.
0: So did you, uh, Tim Hans, another listener, is interested. Did you bring any characteristics from playing Howling Mad Murdoch on the A-Team? Did you bring any of that into Barclay? Uh,
1: There's always a little bit of that, yes. Uh, The fantasy, like I said, the fantasy world. Um, He he is an introvert uh, who, on the holodeck, becomes an extrovert. And Murdoch is the extrovert, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, always. And there is a little bit of every character uh, in everything you do. I mean, there's uh, the idea that he's playing characters. And that's the same thing. That, you know, that's what, with Murdoch, that was my idea because that was my mm-hmm. show and um, or our show. But that, it was my idea that he was different every week. And so uh, there is that similarity in, in the actor who wants to do many different things as opposed to just one thing. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to do that. And uh, um, yes, so, so there certainly was an opportunity to bring a little bit of uh, uh, versatility to Barclay.
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> Excellent. So the question that I have is so you were on five different episodes of The Next Generation as Barclay. Do you have a, a favorite episode or some favorite stories of working on those episodes?
1: Well, the nth degree um was uh my favorite episode. Uh you you can't dismiss the idea that you're you're the uh, smartest human being in the galaxy. <laughs> uh <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun to just just you know to to, to grow into that um just to, just personally it's just a lot of fun to think about it uh and to have the 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 cut the cut the leash and let the actor just pretend you know the it's, it's, since I'm not the smartest person in the even in my own household <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was fun to pretend uh to do that and there's it was an interesting the, the special effects, uh, at one point, uh, they used these lasers. It wasn't the uh, CGI. Back then, they actually had real lasers spinning around me as I'm sitting in the chair in the computer. Mm-hmm. And the top of my head started to burn, <gasps> get Ooh. hot oh <laughs> from the lasers. <laughs> A little bit of smoke came up. And so they had to, they, we had to cut the time uh, of the takes oh my gosh <laughs> oh wow, wow. But, it, but but it, it was it, it was i mean it wasn't serious yeah. believe me it wasn't serious you just could suddenly feel uh although the my, top of my head is not particularly sensitive because i had hair transplants so
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, I, I could still feel wow. the heat and uh it and, and there was a lot of laughter When I said,
2: "Wait a minute, (laughs) (laughs) it's
1: getting hot here, and it's
2: not the intellect." Wow, that's that's really something. The the, the nth degree may be my favorite Barclay episode as well because he's just like possessed with this confidence. And at one point, you know, he he's telling the computer it needs to construct this thing, and it's like, "I don't know how to do that." Well, I'll tell you how to build it. You know, it's just so (laughs) much. (laughs) It's it's so much fun, and I'm glad that you. I uh, really enjoyed that one as well. Well, and
0: I like your Yes,
2: it is. And you know,
0: yeah. Oh, I like your scenes with Marina Sirtis where you're picking up Diana Troy. I mean, that's those are great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it it was uh it, it was it was a hoot. I really I I sometimes um and you know, like I I you know, I did one a year and uh, you never knew if they were going to come back with another one and they were always so wonderful. And uh, that show was, well, <laughs> Marina Saritas working with everybody. It was it was one of the best experiences that you could have as an actor, working on the Paramount lot, with all of these fabulously talented people, and uh, a produce a production staff and writers who truly, truly cared about the quality of the writing and the fans. There was so much effort to make sure that the fans were satisfied that they 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 didn't go off. They they were you know always worried about the letters they were going to get if they made mistakes, and um, there there were many 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 rewrites, which was a sign of how much they cared. And uh, it was for an actor from from my standpoint, having been on a show that was very popular, but for which there weren't that many rewrites the eighteen. A- uh it was it, it was a totally different experience i just loved it uh i felt like i was really in show business <laughs> uh and they treated you like gold uh on that set and uh, i had a very good relationship with everybody loved everybody and i knew brent spiner and jonathan frakes before uh i um had the and I knew Whoopi, Goldberg too before I had the good graces and luck and fortune to uh, get apart and uh, it it was for me it was a highlight in my life uh, and, and that that it went on for so long and was never supposed to go beyond the next generation into voyager so even that was something that was totally unexpected
3: awesome Awesome. Um so we have another listener that asks, uh, Rebecca Skipper asks, um how do you think your portrayal of Barclay fits into the discussion of uh disability in Star Trek or diversity?
1: Well, there were there are many people uh and conventions when I go, and I'm going to one this week coming up here in Holland. Um and the Netherlands. And Utrecht. Uh there are there have been many people who have been grateful for the character um, because he is ad- identifiable as someone who struggles, not somebody who was a, everybody's a hero in Star Trek, but except Barclay. <laughs> and yet he is proficient and brilliant and does the job and it reflects so many people uh, who want, who may have trouble, uh, with social, in social, uh, communication, uh, that, that there's hope and that, that they're recognized as not just because they're having a little difficulty communicating verbally doesn't mean that they are useless. So many people have come up to me and are thankful for the, for the writers, for the producers, for having created the character and um and I agree with them i it was a stroke of brilliance because it kind of put the fans on the deck as opposed to being outside of the deck, watching all of these uh people who do things that you can't do uh Now suddenly, there's this opening that maybe I could do that, and that's the key towards the future from for so many people not to cut off uh, possibilities. Uh, but possibilities are there if you seek them out. Even though there's difficulty in the search, you ha- you can do it. That positive thinking. And that's what Star Trek, uh, unlike a Babylon 5, which was uh, a bit of the opposite, Star Trek has always been a very positive, forward-positive-looking uh, universe. Uh, not that that's – it is a bit of a fantasy, I guess but um it, it, it's important for people to be positive because without that that positive note uh, there are a lot of people who decide not to take that step and it is that first step that is important
2: yeah i mean i think it what you were saying before you know on on first glance a lot of people might not think of barclay as as heroic but he is often contributing to what's needed to, you know, save the ship or to get the enterprise out of out of the situation. So I think it does give people hope no matter what kind of, you know, social difficulties or anxiety that they might have that they can still contribute positively. That's how I see it at least.
1: That that's exactly right. Exactly right. And that and that you're not looking at the just the shell. What is he doing? You know, he's not he's not always where I want him to be. But when I need him to be there, he is and he performs very, very well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm a school teacher and so get to see a wide spectrum of students in their social awkwardness stages <laughs> and was just really impressed with the discussion of yes, this is valuable, even though you may not communicate it in a certain way that I'm used to hearing or what is, you know, quote unquote, normal, you know, but those contributions of every person. I think is an important theme that we see and, and that your character introduces.
1: Yes. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it was very interesting, uh, to me just recently, um, uh, my wife and I have taken, a, um, a communication course, um, it's called Chabad. It's, it's Jewish. It's Jewish religious a uh, study, but it's a, a, a course on strict communication as told by the Old Testament, and uh, I wasn't raised Jewish; I'm I was raised Christian, and so we took this course, and some of the most important uh, um, um, dictates of of the Hebrew Bible, the the scholars all. They they implore you to listen to everybody, not just the people who are experts, but you must listen to everyone. You don't have to take everything that everybody says to heart, but it is very, very important to listen to everyone. And you never know, you never, ever know when someone is going to be the inspiration to you, no matter how bright you think you are. You never know where inspiration is going to come from. You don't. You have no knowledge uh, of that. So you must put your feet into the water. You must embrace what people have to say. And then you have the good, hopefully, you can take it or you can move it aside. But it is very important not to dismiss people out of hand. Exactly. And they give this great, they give this great story that there's, um, there were like, oh, 300 there was a test given uh about the weight of a, a cow all right they they this and, and how much does this cow weigh is in a public square and they took there were like 600 guesses at the weight of the cow and no one actually got the weight correct correct exactly however when they averaged all of the weight that were guessed, it was correct.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> so it was very. It was, it's a great analogy. Uh, you, you, you just never. If you think you know, you are. Pro- you probably don't. Uh, until you have really assessed all of the situation, you take everything in and then you make a judgment. Not before.
0: Yeah. I'm going to have to try that experiment in my math classroom. That's pretty awesome. I like that.
1: Oh, it was it 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 blew me away when I uh that's why it's 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 it, there is there is so much wisdom out there. Mm-hmm, <laughs> that that uh you know we have to uh avail ourselves of. Yeah.
2: Excellent. Well, uh Dwight, I actually wanted to add something related a little bit to the discussion we were having before about the, you know, how fans react to, to Barclay because we did get a number mm-hmm. of uh, listeners who said, you know, Barclay had been an inspiration uh, to them. And I just wanted to, to read one of those comments and ask a question about that. Uh, sure. So the, the comment was from uh, Brandy Jackal who actually hosts uh, two podcasts on our network, one related to enterprise, one related to discovery. Um, and, and she said, uh, as an introvert, Barclay became a hero to me because not everyone fits perfectly into an extroverted world. Mr. Schultz's portrayal of Barclay gave me hope that I too would someday be appreciated by my peers, despite my social awkwardness, representation matters. And I wanted to read that, uh, but, but also to, to just ask, I mean, did you anticipate when you were first portraying the the character that you would get the kind of reaction that you did and that it would be such a popular character?
1: Uh, no, no, I did not. Um, honestly, I, uh, I, I just reacted to it positively and I loved it. I, I, I frequently tell the story that I, when when I was told that there was a part for me, I I imagined wearing a uh, Michael Westmore <laughs> makeup, oh. <laughs> and, and you know, and uh, and then when I read it, I said, you know, it's a nerd, <laughs> it's a wonderful nerd and a brilliant. It was just it just hit me, what a brilliant stroke it was, and I loved the character. I mean, I loved him. I just thought it was a. Uh, a great idea, but I had no idea that it would go past me. I, I certainly didn't believe that he would be a concurrent, you know, coming back. I I just didn't, I, I, that never crossed my mind. And, um, it's, um, uh, it, it was a Christmas gift every year because it was just about the end of the year, every year that I got a call saying, Hey, are you available to do another? (laughs) (laughs) I said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And uh, and I remember Patrick Stewart uh, telling me, "Oh Dwight, you must go to a convention. You must you must <laughs> love love love." Boy. <laughs> and I say, "You know, Patrick, you're the captain of the Enterprise, and I've done two episodes." <laughs> I said, uh, no. <laughs> "No, no, no, dear, you're in the family. You know, it was one of those kinds of things." <laughs> and um, and I I finally went, and it, you know, it was it it, it, it astonished me how successful the character was and uh, but then when i think about it you know michio kaku um the famous physicist uh, he wrote in his book uh, uh he said that there are more physicists today because of star trek than all of the universities as a result of all the universities and so uh there is again there is this great Sometimes we have to see somebody else do it, even if it's scripted. you know it's like I need to watch somebody do something before i I can do it and uh, something as 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 done as well as this was and is written as well uh, it it, I, I, it it makes sense to me and I am so glad that people took it that way that there was there was this conceptual idea that if I see this person do it, that I can do it. And it, and it fills you with uh, um, gratitude. Just uh, that you've had some impact or you're a part of a character that's had some impact because I'm just an actor. But uh, it it was just, uh, it, it, it makes my heart feel warm and fuzzy to hear something like that. And I'm so grateful that it had that impact. And I, and um, God bless everybody who was able to take something from that and, uh, move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really
0: good. Well, you had mentioned that you kept getting, you know, callbacks year after year, and then you get a call for first contact. So I'm interested to know, like, how was that? And like, how is that different shooting a movie versus <laughs> a TV episode?
1: Well, uh, I didn't know. I mean, I, I was, uh, I got a call, uh, uh, to do first contact from Jonathan Frakes, who was ready to shoot the scene, uh, the next day. And he said, Hey, I've got a part for a lieutenant oh, my goodness. here. <laughs> That's it. He says, we have a lieutenant. So you want to do it? And I said, sure. Are you kidding? So, um, that was it. <laughs> it was like, I, you know, they sent the script and two days later, uh, it was actually two days later that I ended up doing it. And I was up in Los Angeles Crest and just drove up there. And the difference uh, between shooting a TV script and shooting a movie is time. You just uh, you have uh, uh, doing Star Trek or doing the A-Team, you're doing uh, 10 pages a day sometimes. Uh, whereas when you're shooting a film, you're doing two, Wow. maybe three at most, at most. So, particularly when you have lots of techno babble, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's much easier to do a movie. It always, it always made me laugh when I, I heard act, some actors complain about their script having too much to learn when they only had two pages of dialogue. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, uh, it's crazy. But you, you, um, I, I guess, uh, George Papard said it very well. He said, uh, doing a film is like, uh, getting into a warm tub of water, whereas doing TV is being thrown in an ice cold bath. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <Boy>.
1: <laughs> and uh, that I think that's very apt.
3: Nice. Well, speaking of appearing on other shows and movies, um, you appeared in six episodes of Voyager. How was it similar or different from working on the Next Generation? Or do, and do you have a favorite Voyager episode that you worked on? well uh
1: you know it it was a very bizarre experience because we were all told no one would be uh in voyager <clears throat> that that was that came down from from the wow top. so yeah. yeah yeah that that's that came down and it was it was no just that's the way they were going to work it out there were going to be no crossovers, and that changed obviously yes. but uh when when <laughs> when I hit the set with most of my scenes were with marina uh and uh I knew the crew better than most of the actors who were new uh i I knew script supervisor, the d p the lighting technicians. I knew the crew very, very well and um uh working with marina was like working on next generation and Bob picardo uh who I had most of my scenes with <laughs> the the mm-hmm. doctor. I programmed him, of course. His social skills <laughs> <Yes>. anyway. <laughs> uh I he I, I did not know Bob, but I knew of him, and we had many, many, many friends in New York City in common. So we had a blast. He is one of the funniest, most talented people. I mean you cannot believe him. He's uh he's a hoot. And so um it was a joy. It was an absolute joy to uh to to have that opportunity again and to move on. I, you know, I was still a lieutenant. I kept wondering, when was I going to get promoted? (laughs) (laughs) Which I finally did, by the way, at the end. You did. And I never thought, that's it. (laughs) I I never thought ever that I was going to be at the center of getting Voyager back. I mean, that was just Mm. out of the character. I mean, I just never thought that was going to happen. And those last episodes uh, were, were truly wonderful for me. Uh, it, it was, um, uh, and, and, you know, it,
2: what,
1: what can you do? You know, you, you, you just say how lucky and how, you know, what great fortune, uh, I had to do that and to work with all these wonderful people again and still be a part of that. I think it was almost 13 years altogether. Yeah, Uh, doing one or two a year. Yeah, I
2: I, I think my only disappointment is they got that promotion to commander for for you as the future Barclay, but then they wiped out the timeline, so you're really still (laughs) a lieutenant earlier. Yes. Well, you can't have everything <laughs> <laughs> but but still, I even mean though it, you'd like but yeah. still, it was great to see Barclay as someone like twenty five years later and who he was and what he was doing. I think it was great that they brought you in in, in that as well, even though it kind of didn't happen in a way, but as Vo- viewers, we got to see it, which was great
1: yes it it was wonderful for the actor and for the character and for the fans, I do believe yeah.
0: Well, listener Joey Slewinski says that your character on Star Trek was certainly impactful to many people. You've also created so many other memorable characters on television shows and movies, and he's curious to know what kept you coming back to Star Trek.
1: Offering me the job. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, gotta go where the money. That is.
1: was it, you know. I mean, you know, I, I uh, it, it, you, uh, actors are. I mean, I, I have never. A uh, the lot There are many actors, and I've known them, who knew what they were doing for the next five years. I mean, they've simply known, that, you know, they're doing two movies a year for the next five years. And they're signed up for them already. So they know where they're working. I, am, for the most part, have never known what I was doing, other than when I was doing the A-Team. That was the only time I knew, a year to year, that I actually had a job. But most of my life has been spent unemployed, and so um, when someone offers you a job, my heavens, you know, you 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 never turn down right. a job that's being offered to you. I shouldn't say never. Yeah. There, there I, I have turned down one job wow. in, in my life. Yes, I turned down one job, uh, which. Uh, I won't even okay. go into it. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a story, say, are but you we'll to? wait. Yeah. <laughs> it, no, no, it, it, it was so it was so uh, grotesque. I couldn't even. Um, it's one of these cult uh, horror films, oh. and I just won't go yeah. into it. But um, and, and you know they, they send me a letter saying you're perfect for this, and I went oh, that was the wrong thing to say.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That was the wrong way to start that letter, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway i um but anyway so so as an actor i have never known what I was going to do, and um very grateful when someone offers me a job, and uh that's why I kept coming back to star trek,
2: okay or
1: you know, that's it, yeah. You know.
2: Well, I, I have um, maybe a bit of a related question. I mean, as you might know, there's a new Star Trek series, Star Trek uh, Discovery, that's Discovery. that's come out, yeah. and I'm curious to. And some of our listeners wanted to know if you've seen it and if you were offered some part in in the show, if if you'd be interested in that.
1: No, no, I've not been offered anything, and I did see it there, uh, when it first came on, uh, and uh, I haven't been watching it uh, uh, as it's streaming uh it's a uh, and th- that has nothing to do with it uh mostly my life has been extraordinarily complicated uh, uh over the last uh, 3 years it, and much of that has to do with uh life experience life that everybody goes through uh i'm 71 almost 71 uh and um as you get older uh people pass away and they're close to you and uh, there's been a lot of that uh and in my wife's family too so it's a it's 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 been a um, you know you're watching people jump ship <laughs> i guess that's the best way i can put it and uh there has been uh, you, your mind goes elsewhere uh you, your your focus in life goes elsewhere and uh uh you change so many things i mean i i don't uh, your your focus in life just changes. That's it. it's like it's like becoming a a, a father, a, a parent. All of a sudden, you've been going to you've been going you've seen three movies a week for your entire life, uh, and then you become a parent. You have a child, and uh, you don't go to the movies. <laughs> yes,
0: <then. laughs> eighteen years <laughs> <You> know, later.
1: <laughs> right, that's right. Then you get you know every uh, you say what happened to our life? You know what? Well, you folk and then there are all these other benefits. That come to you, you know. You begin to learn about your mother and father from the way your child is. Re- you begin to learn about w- where you have been in ways that you did not know. And it is the same thing now. I have been, um, uh, I, I, I my focus in life has changed, and uh, it doesn't. It hasn't stopped. Unfortunately, we're in the middle of uh, some um, sad moments now, and uh, you you just uh and uh all of a sudden the television is not as important even though that was your life so um that's one reason i haven't been able to uh focus on it although i i see the and um i i know it's uh it, it's quite different a lower deck happens and yeah. <laughs> uh yeah yeah there, there's a lot of controversy there <laughs> but it's um Uh, it, it, it's something I unfortunately haven't been able and you know, streaming now, I mean, you catch up, you know, you watch something, you're behind 40 episodes and a week later, uh, you're, you're caught up.
0: Isn't it so different nowadays? Uh,
1: Oh, it's, it's, listen, it's all, eventually it all will. I mean, Netflix has just changed the world. Um. There are so many things that I haven't seen. I can't even begin to dis- to discuss it. Uh, I'm behind in everything. I mean everything. And um, uh, the, the motion picture industry is upside down. Uh, and uh, you, now I for a long time, from a technological standpoint, because I'm sort of an audiophile and a videophile, and that's my, that was always my hobby. I used to do do that when i was unemployed in new york <laughs> and i've stayed up on technology and i have predicted many many years ago that eventually everything will premiere in the home and as technology becomes as good as it is i mean motion i mean tv screens now are just astonishing for 4k uh hdr is just unbelievable to look at and um and netflix is some of the series of so it's just, I, I really feel sorry for the motion picture theaters. I, I, I don't know how much longer they're going to last. Um, but, and and when things do premiere in the home, that will be another game changer. And you see it, you see them fighting it now. Uh, theaters are, I had no idea when I was 13, 14, and 15 the problems that motion picture theaters had. And uh, Now it's just uh, it's mind-boggling that they even stayed uh, solvent at all. But uh, there are there are technologies out there that are just 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 mind-blowing in terms of visual impact. And they no more than it, something is installed in a theater, it's in the home in a year, right, or less. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, it's a. Uh, uh, who knows how it, how everything is going to end up i uh, i guess i i it all everything will and um, it it will be it will start in the home that's where it will because eventually all this technology will be available for everybody mm-hmm. so
2: well and then you'll have a holodeck in the home so why even leave right <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's frightening. <laughs> it frightening it is frightening uh, you know that is a frightening thought i people i i, I think there is possibility of that to a degree uh, people, uh, now, I personally, my only caveat to everyone with uh, uh, virtual reality is uh, wearing something, a helmet, or wearing something on your head is, is just a little, is problematic. And being in <laughs> being in something is very, very different than watching something. Being told a story is different than being in the story. There's a benefit to both. But I think ultimately speaking, we are, we like to put our toes in the water first to feel how warm it is. Uh, so I think telling, we, we want people to tell us a story. Uh, there's less work involved. And uh, it is, it, it, people, uh, I think, are, are not going to embrace the, the idea of being in a virtual reality world uh, from the standpoint of entertainment. Uh, that is, that is story entertainment. But it will be something for, uh, if you, if you saw Blade Runner 2049, uh, creating the, the artificial world and walking around in it, that sort of thing. I think that's a, that's, there's a real potential there to get, uh, to get lost in that and not to leave the house. Uh, not to see the Grand Canyon, really, but to, you know, virtual walk around mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there are some problems there, but because I think the Grand Canyon is a place you should be at really. Uh, but, but there is this, this question of do we, when does reality and unreality merge? And of course uh, this, you know, quantum reality. Now everyone is talking about uh, quantum mechanics and, and the, the the micro world and the macro world and h- how these rules are different and they don't allow the two to mix, but the two do mix. They do. They're, they work perfectly together. We just don't know how. And, um, in some ways, uh, you know, all the questions about whether we're in a, uh, a computer simulation, uh, you know, the, the thought processes that are now our, our human consciousness—does consciousness exist without us, or does consciousness exist because we do we create it? You know, all of these things are go part and parcel. Uh, so we are also the the whole idea of the uh, of artificial intelligence. You listen to Elon Musk, we should be very afraid. And then others say, well, we have to merge with it so that we can't be afraid of it. We become part mm-hmm. of it. Then you're in the Borg.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so there are all of these. Yes, there are all of these extraordinary things that are going on that once were just part of Star Trek uh, fantasies, uh, and now are looming as actual potential possibilities of of, put, of of being in something that permits you to stay in a fantasy world all day. And video games give you just a taste of it but uh the the virtual uh, it, i'm sure you you folks have looked at some of the problems that we have now with um uh facial recognition and being able to to take a, a live video and put it into a computer and then connect it to someone else and have that person say and do things that they really didn't say and do and uh it looks like the real person doing it and that's a fact now so we are we are skating around fabulous things and frightening things at the same time and i don't know where it's all going to land
0: well and i your character you know is talks about hollow diction and you know just going too far <laughs> that pendulum of you know swinging and living in virtual reality versus living in the real life and your character was doing that right. so many years
2: ago. I mean, at, at one point in Voyager, he's sleeping in the holodeck, right? I mean, he's like <laughs> making his home That's there, right?
1: Right, <laughs> right. right. And, and, you know, it's uh, how many, you know, how many kids, uh, you know, are on the computer. And I did not, for instance, I did not know that there were kids uh, online, young people online making money playing video games. I didn't know that that was uh, part of the ethos today, but it is. And they're thirteen hours.
3: Yep, It's nothing
1: mm-hmm. for some people. I love Twitch. And that is, yeah, <laughs> that's withdrawal. Yeah, that that's you know, you know, that's going on a binge with a bottle. Yeah.
0: So Dwight, let me ask you: Are you part of the problem or part of the solution? I notice <laughs> that you've done a lot of voice work for video games. <laughs>
1: Oh, thank God. Yes. <laughs> so
0: what's that experience yes, like? Yeah, listen.
1: Oh, that's uh I I have to tell you, it's again um one of those things that was dropped in my lap. I I was at that point uh well, 12, 13 years ago where uh the only parts that were being offered were terribly boring. And just not interesting. And, and I would have to drive for two hours, uh, to get into audition for something. It would take me 10 minutes and then two hours back to Santa Clarita. And, uh, it was four hours and to, to read for an accountant or a judge or, uh, and just, just didn't, uh, it was, it, it was not good. And then all of a sudden, uh, um, a director named Jack Fletcher, uh, who I adore. He, he, he basically, uh, directed me to an agent and said, you know, you should be doing video games. You should be doing animation. You should, be, where your talents uh, in terms of voice can be utilized because nobody wants you to go in and do dialects for most of the things I was being asked to go in for. And that's really what a voice is is, uh, vocal characterization was how I got into the business. It really is. And, um, so, uh, all of a sudden uh, this world opened up and I could be, uh, um someone from Czechoslovakia, someone from great Britain, I could be a, a genie, I could be a monster, uh, a wizard, uh, uh, I could be a German scientist, <laughs> uh, I, I could be almost anything. Uh, and, um, uh it it was another it, it wasn't as lucrative as being in front of the camera, but it was certainly more stimulating and uh it was the beginning of the the i the beginning of the video game surge it now makes they make more money in video games than the motion picture
0: industry hmm, does. wow uh
1: and yes they do uh and uh it's it's quite something and it's a very different process in that you know rarely ever know the whole story you just get a little bit oh, right. of the story and then you go in and every once in a while someone will tell you all of the levels that are involved but you never you rarely meet anybody else uh, who is involved and um uh but it's it, it's it's basically plying your craft you know you're you're still an actor you're 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 vocalizing a character and then the other part of that is animation on television. And that's been, that was a joy. I've been involved in two series, uh, Chowder, uh, Cartoon Network and, uh, All Hail King Julian for DreamWorks, which, uh, was just working with some of the most brilliant people and talented people in the world. And, uh, two years of, or four years actually altogether, but just so much fun. It's really funny, really, creative and uh, just a joy so it keeps you keeps you fresh particularly working with such talented people it's uh it's an inspiration yeah so i am part of the problem
2: <laughs> 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 well what can you do
1: <laughs> yeah what can i do i have to work you gotta you gotta pay yeah. the bills
2: <laughs> yeah yeah so, um, I have a question related to that, so you know overall thinking about your non star trek work, do you have a favorite um role that you've done outside of star trek
1: well, the a team of course that was uh, that that truly was my i mean my input i the character wasn't written exactly as as uh, it was portrayed, <laughs> and most of the decisions were mine, and they were hard to make because of I was fired originally.
2: What happened
1: there? Well, I was doing the pilot, and they fired wow. me. Wow. They said that I wouldn't be in any other episodes. Mm,
2: hmm. <laughs> wow. did, did, I mean, did they tell and you what changed. the problem was or what they didn't like? Uh,
1: well, the, the director, John, uh, Rod Holcomb, said that, well, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Stephen Cannell, and it wasn't Frank Lupo. It was the network. The network didn't think that the audiences were going to take to you that was it and so they removed me from the cast in the on the set and they put me down with the stuntmen who were wonderful great there was nothing wrong with being down there it was just that it was sad you know i was not going to be in any future episodes and uh but then they then they were editing it as we were going along and they tested it and i tested very well and I got a call from my agent saying your dials are great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there you go.
1: Uh, and I didn't know what dials were. I didn't know. <laughs> You're like that sounds.
2: That know. sounds good. But what do you yeah. mean?
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. And then uh, so then they had to write me back into the shows they wrote me out of. And uh,
2: wow, yeah, it's like that.
1: That's that's show business. It's a, uh, and there are other things that go along with it that are uh, very uh, ironic, but. Um, it's all a struggle. You now, for some people it's not, but for me it's always been a struggle and always almost almost getting something, getting it, and then almost getting fired, and then it turns out okay, and then uh, you just have to keep going and uh, be grateful for what you have and what you can do. And when you can't do one thing, you can. Uh, there's always a potential to be able to do something else. And so uh, I have to say, that uh, uh, the A-Team was, uh, uh, even though it was uh, dissatisfying, unsatisfying from the standpoint of the way we were handled and the way the show was handled, it was never supported by the network. And that was very, very frustrating because it could have been, we were only on for four years and um, it could have been very successful and it would change your life if, if a show goes five years or longer, it changes your life. From a financial standpoint, if it doesn't, then it doesn't. You, you don't get the benefits of that. find from the financial end, but um, uh, it was very satisfying from the standpoint of the work. I mean, I really enjoyed working with everybody, uh, and uh, it was a thrill to be the number one show in the nation, and um, it was a, to see it be so successful. That was all three. You're part of, you know, television business and uh, you realize, okay, I've made it to this point and you know let's let's move on. but uh, uh, I, I, I have to say that um, of all of the things that I've done after uh, the Star Trek and the A-Team, w- what I mentioned before, Chowder is probably one of the most joyful and uh, wonderful experiences. It was two years. Uh, actually, realistically, it was like five years, but it took three years to get the the thing done to 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 sell it. And poor Nikki uh, Nikki Jones, who played Chowder, he was uh, like nine years old when uh, when he when we did the pilot and he was cast. But by the time we were two years into the episodes, his voice changed, and mm. so the show ended. <laughs> after two years oh, but it was two years of absolute bliss i mean it was i cannot tell you uh we worked twice a week um and uh it you you just i just couldn't wait to go in and it was so much fun and you had so much freedom and uh working with real children too they you know usually women do boys voices small boys voices and but in Chowder, we actually had kids playing the kids parts, and they were delightful, and we all got along beautifully, and it was a, uh, it was just two two years of uh, bliss. So, and Mung dal Now it's fun to go. You see all these kids come up to you at conventions, and um, they never see the human being behind <laughs> behind the animated figure. Yeah. And when they say, "Why is that picture up there behind you?" <clears throat> <laughs> and you say, uh, well I I, I was Mongol and they say, Do it, do, do Mongol's voice and then you do it and the look on their <laughs> face you just wanna cry. You just want to cry because they're so thrilled. And um it it's it's you know, it's magical. Uh, we're so lucky to be in this business. Uh that, you know, I'm I'm very, very fortunate.
3: You know, Dwight, actually I had it. um I had a similar story with uh, with my daughter. She she actually met um, John Delancey, who does um, um, I can't remember what what it's on My Little Pony. Thank you, My Little Pony. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember Discord. He played Discord, and she looked at him, and she was just she was like, I don't, I don't, I don't see, I don't see, um, I I don't get it. What, he's not he's not talking like discord and then he talked to her and her eyes just lit up cuz she loves discord <laughs> on that show and, yeah. <laughs> and it's just one of her it's one of her favorite shows and your favorite character um but uh, sp- it is yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of um of meeting fans as well um do you uh, have you attended to any um like star trek conventions or anything like that
1: oh yeah yeah i i have i I I think I'd done about one a year. When I did my first convention, I knew exactly what the first question was going mm. to be, which was what it was like to kiss Marina's Yes. Yeah.
0: Uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew. I knew going in. I said, this is going to be the first question anybody asks. Me. And it was indeed the oh very first. Oh my gosh. <laughs> how everybody lives, right? <laughs> we live vicariously through other people. Yeah. How, did but anyway, how did you answer uh, the question? You know, <laughs> I said it was lovely. It was wonderful. <laughs> I tried it we did a couple
0: retakes. Oh, retakes. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah.
1: I missed her lips twice. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as I said I'm, I'm getting ready to go to uh, the Netherlands in Utrecht. Uh on the first uh the, the 31st and the 1st. 31st of March and the 1st uh, of April. And um uh what and it's the a team was very big there so wow. uh it's a uh yeah very, it still is it still plays 24 hours oh, a day
2: <laughs> oh wow um
1: <laughs> yeah i know it's, it's it's hard to believe but uh uh it's 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 very in fact my uh my fan club is uh out of the netherlands hmm. uh, claudia and ingeborg who run it uh, just wonderful two wonderful ladies but they are they're wonderful and, uh, I was warned about going to Star Trek conventions because everybody knows the stories, uh, you know, about, uh, William Shatner being asked all kinds of impertinent questions. But I have never, I, I, I've had nothing but joy. I, Patrick Stewart told me to go and I went and he was right. It was, um, it's always been a delight. The fans are wonderful. Uh, it's great to see what people do after, uh, after hours and what their real jobs are and there are a lot of people who are interested in the same things that i am technologically uh and um i've met uh the scientists who work on the hubble space telescope i've I've met so many fa- fabulous people at these conventions uh and they're all they 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 they're it is pure love as uh jean luc says <laughs> uh to me in uh, his real guise as Patrick Stewart, it's love, love, yeah, just love. <laughs> and um and he was right. It is, and you can't. uh, uh it, it it's been a lot of fun to go to these, but but only one a year. I, I I wouldn't go to more than one or two maximum. And I don't actually like travel, traveling abroad. It's it's a ten-hour flight over and a ten-hour flight back, and um. I wouldn't be going to this one if it weren't for Claudia and Ingeborg, actually, because I, uh, I love them so much and they've been so, so good to me. And the fans actually uh, in, in the Netherlands have been wonderful since, uh, from, for many, many, many years. And, uh, I won't do any more, but, um, they're, they're really, uh, uh, the fan Star Trek fans are, are terrific. And, um, it's, uh, uh, They've got a bad rap.
0: <laughs> well, I live in Las Vegas, and we would love to have you come to Star Trek Las Vegas. When was the last?
2: It's time It's less you were than here? a ten-hour flight. It's not very far. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been to one. I went to I went to one Vegas. Uh,
2: was a creation. Yes, planet. creation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. They still do. Uh,
1: yes. Oh, they still do. I had some problems with creation. They were uh, they were a bit mechanical. Um, uh, yeah, it was like, um, uh, anyway, I just had some, some problems with okay. them. That's all. And, uh, you know, it's, a. uh, you're
0: not the first to say There are smaller that. conventions.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate, you know, but, but they, you know, it's a business and, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but there, there are conventions where it's not run sort of like a business where you actually can meet mm-hmm. the fans and, um, mm-hmm. uh, kind of schmooze. Uh, and, um, those are the ones I like. Uh, when I go, because uh, that's what you're right. there for. You're there exactly. to meet them.
3: Yeah. Then you should come to Starfest. Yeah, it isn't in an in and out thing. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I said you should come here. Uh, you should come to Starfest here in Denver. Then <laughs> that kind of setup. <laughs> <laughs> it's great.
0: Well, I was just watching your episodes. I mean, you got to interact with so many of the characters. I mean, like different ones. It was. I just. yeah. Yeah. Yes. It, I mean, in Voyager, it was, it was mostly I mean, it, Deanna Troy, but on the next gen. It was
2: Bob Picardo as well. Well, yeah. On and and yeah. Bob Picard, yeah. right, yeah. But, um, you know,
1: I was on what, I, I didn't know what Michael Dorn looked like for <laughs> at least three uh-huh. years because he was always in full uh-huh. makeup uh, by the time I got there. And then finally, I, but, you know, I, I was on it long enough that I finally got there before he arrived. Uh-huh. So uh, <laughs> that's the way. And, and I became friends with everybody. It was it they truly were uh a gregarious loving group. And there was only one moment of, of problem on the set, and that was and this is very funny, is when Brent Spiner uh was, was playing Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let smoke come up from his pipe.
0: Oh, <laughs> right. Because he stopped production. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> because he said, No. No, I'm not just <laughs> It was it was it, it was one of those moments, those philosophical moments where you you're laughing inside. At the same time you understand the you understand the actor and how ridiculous this is, but you understand everything that's going on from the political politically correct standpoints and what Star Trek is trying to do and what everybody's doing. And you, and you're sitting there listening. I mean, I think they shut down for like four or five hours oh, <laughs> for smoke coming out oh, of the pipe. Goodness. You
2: know?
1: Oh, well. it, And I knew Brent, I knew, I remember when Brent was scared to death, he was so worried that his career was going to be ruined by going into that. And I told him, I said, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful for you. And uh, it was, it was, it's, uh, he's a terrific yeah. guy. So,
2: oh, it, he's he's amazing as as data, and I guess we have you partly to thank for him right. going through with it. <laughs> well, he was going to do it, but I mean, I gave him a little
1: just to, to let him know that it isn't you know it's it's not going to nail you. You're not going to be playing robots for the rest of yeah. your life. You're mm-hmm, too talented. Yeah. He was too versatile, oh, yeah. and, and he had a he's had a great career, yeah. and I'm uh, and a very talented guy, very very talented guy,
2: mm-hmm, for sure.
3: And I, I just wanted to say, um, so I was a huge Eighteen fan, uh, Eighteen uh, fan when it was on reruns. Obviously, mm-hmm. I was too young uh, when it was uh, actually right. airing, but like I just <laughs> absolutely love that show.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, it's a fantastic it show. It
1: was, you know, it was a comic book uh, heroes. They help little people, and um, it was, it was certainly I, I thought it was hysterical. I, I look. I didn't watch it. I've never been able to watch myself, you know. But now when I look at it, I don't see myself because I'm so removed from it. And it it was uh, a lot of fun. I mean, it was a very funny show. It was a lot of fun to do. And um, there were some legitimately uh, entertaining moments on that show. Uh, And I loved everybody on it. Awesome. I'm still friends with Dirk Benedict.
2: Nice. (laughs) Yeah, we are.
1: (laughs) <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and Mr. T was bigger than life, and uh, he was a he was a a, a a true. He loved children and really did without any fanfare. Give much of his life to children who had very little life left. Mm. Yeah, he really did.
0: So Dwight, I was wondering what outside of acting, and you talked about your technology love. Like, what are your other hobbies and interests?
1: Well, it's been audio and um, uh, and video technology, but audio listening I love music. I wish I were more I heard a very interesting thing uh, about music that that in the general population, one in ten thousand people have perfect pitch Wow hmm. but among musicians, one in ten have perfect pitch. Huh. And I always, I, I, I wish I were more talented in the musical area, because I love music. I always have. And um, the miracle of being able to have music, symphony orchestras in your living room, that it act, you actually can fool yourself into thinking that it's there, and human voices, uh, it just uh, aston- always astonished me. And um, I have... I have truly been, uh, an audio phobe, file, whatever you want to call it. I just, uh, I, I've been a stickler for audio and video my whole life. And, um, I keep up on the technology, keep well uh, versed on it. Uh, I up- upgraded my system as best I can. And now that I'm in my older, my waning years and your hearing decreases as you get older. You know you keep wondering uh, I, I keep listening as much as I can because I can still hear, and I know people who can't hear <laughs> so i'm I'm sopping it up now uh before I lose it uh it's a it's an interesting thing, but I love it i i am loving it more and more, and I just uh, again it's uh I, I feel that I'm surrounded myself with lots of used equipment that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And it sounds so good. And uh, I've helped a lot of people along the way to, to not spend a fortune and get really good sound. So, um, and I'm into all kinds of other technology. I love, I love reading about, uh, in fact, a, a book called The Cosmic Code by Heinz Peggles was one of the first books that I read. He was a physicist uh, at uh, New York University and it was quantum mechanics explained for the layperson that's what it was and um i read that uh, back in the early 80s and it changed my life i i i began to see uh, the universe in a different way and uh, i I've, I've been a um uh, I, I certainly have spent a lot of time delving into that which is Uh, As as Richard Feynman said, uh, reality is more fantastic than you can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, the more I read, the less I know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about any current or upcoming work you'd like to let our listeners know about.
1: Well, um, this is a part of the interesting part of uh, the world today in that you have to sign these stupid non-disclosure agreements.
0: Ah. Mm. Yeah.
1: Uh and you can't you can't talk about the things that you've just done. Um and uh, for instance uh the some of the big video games that I did uh Shadow of War for instance which is part of the whole Lord of the Rings uh epics out of Warner Brothers. A, a singing orc uh, uh, that just came out at the end of last year, and I couldn't talk about it until it was released. And um, there are, well, I guess, uh, Lego. Uh, the, a Lego film has just come out, and I was Reverse Flash in that. Um, so I can talk about that. But there are about four big games that I've been involved in, and I can't say anything about them. I can't let anybody know that I did them, and um, uh, they have reasons for it, but you'll find me mostly in the video game world, and uh, uh, I guess I can say that I did Powerpuff Girls. Hmm. Uh, It's an animation series Uh for kids, and that's uh, that'll be coming up. Um, So, uh, but I mean, I have four or five games under my belt, and um, excellent uh, but but again i'm straddled by each and every one not hmm. this not to, not to uh, say anything
2: mm-hmm. okay well something exciting but oh. maybe mysterious at this yes, point yes very suspenseful <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Mystery. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so where can listeners find you online
1: um, where can you find me online i don't i am not uh, when social media really was uh, hitting it when facebook and twitter and uh, there were people pretending to be me oh uh and i had to go through lots of uh, rigor, rigmarole uh to um get myself identified as the real dwight schultz and to get people who were pretending to be me um off so I have no, personally, I have no um, uh, online place. There's no place. You can go to my fan club, however, which is info at nl. And um, there's a lot of information up there that keep everybody abreast about what I can tell everybody that I'm doing. And periodically, I write something, or I I leave uh, uh, mini podcasts. I guess you would call them little, little <laughs> mini audio clips <laughs> up there. Um, but it's uh, you can find me there. But they basically represent me uh, everywhere on the internet. Hmm.
2: Nice. Yeah. And, and and I have to say that that site NL, that's how I got in contact with you. So I'm glad there's at least that even if you don't have a specific social media presence in order to get in touch <laughs> with you. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, thank you. I I wish I wish I had um I hadn't had the troubles that I had. Facebook was a nightmare. And um, you know, there people just get up there and say they're you and they just say all kinds of things. Uh and it's not you. And then then to prove you know it's like that you have to prove that that's not you is problematic always was and it was the same with twitter uh i I really although they were a little easier but um i you know i the idea that I have to give information to somebody to prove that that's not me i uh, uh in, in that kind of format um, and of course there are lots of lots of difficulties now that are coming to light about all of that. But information is uh, it's it's a great place for criminals because they find out everything about you uh and um but it's it's it 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 soured me and I didn't want to have any uh, representation up there except for my fan club which is uh, they were they were willing to do it and and they do the um uh they check they've been really good and they've they've nailed a few people uh, who pretended to uh, be me and they know me very well so they know what I sound like and what I say and what I believe in and know when something's up there and it's not real so
2: very good okay well thanks for being with us for this interview it was just you know a joy to talk with you today about the you know Star Trek the Next generation and so many other things we've really enjoyed it
1: thanks for giving me the opportunity and i, I had a, I had a blast I really did
2: Well, wow. Wasn't that an amazing interview that we just had with Dwight Schultz?
0: Oh, my gosh. It was so exciting just to hear Lieutenant Barclay's voice come through. I felt like I was
2: talking to Barclay. I
0: know. To hear (laughs) it come through again, it was like, oh, my gosh, so cool.
2: And he had all of this great, like, you know, philosophical and science and technology, the kind of stuff Barclay would talk about. So it's really just, it was extraordinary. And um, Well,
0: his Jean-Luc impersonation is (laughs) putting Brent Spiner's uh you know it's gone head to head with Brent Spiners. That was incredible.
2: Oh man. I mean I don't know if he's ever done that at a convention but he should. It'll bring the house. Yeah, down. <laughs> that was a great
0: Picard
3: impersonation wow. impression.
2: Yeah. So what'd you think, Richard?
3: It was good. It was fun. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh yeah, I was I was hearing him snarping here and there. I'm like, oh <laughs> it's like we're
2: talking to Barclay. Yeah, a little awesome. bit. It, it's interesting because I think a little bit of like yeah. his cadence and the way he talks probably reminds you more of Barclay than Murdoch from the A Team, mm-hmm. right? It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, and I'm glad we got to talk about that. I saw that you gave like a little fist pump, Richard, when he said that his favorite non Star Trek role was the A Team.
3: Oh hell yeah, yeah! The A Team's <laughs> the best show ever.
2: <laughs> well, we can argue about that. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Pretty amazing and covered so much territory. And there was a lot that was really inspirational, right. a lot of stories about his character inspiring people and him and, you know, Dwight Schultz talking about, you know, how important it is for everyone to contribute. It was wow. I mean, well, and that, that he, was just amazing to hear. He
0: completely agrees with that philosophy of bettering yourself and having hope, you know, and that your contributions are important. And, you know, I just really that enlightened and, you know, hope for a better future, even though it is just Star Trek, but it still can inspire you. It's really very good.
2: Exactly. What else? What else can we say? I hope the listeners enjoy it. I'm pretty sure they yeah. will. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I could have gone for hours because he has a lot of game
3: um, mentions in his um, biography that I all, actually oh, yeah. all my I play.
2: When he said four <laughs> or five, he meant the four or five that are, you know, he can't talk about and they're ready yeah. to be re- released, but it seemed like there were dozens of them. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's at least games. 20 of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> which is yeah. incredible. It's in- it's very, insane. <laughs> very, very cool. And, and I appreciate um, the audacity Amy to say he's part of the video yeah. game problem. <laughs> <laughs> seemed
0: like we were on good enough terms.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. He took it well. <laughs> Excellent. Well, so at this point we'd like to give you a preview of next week's episode. Uh, Amy, did you want to give us a preview?
0: Yes, very excited to have Clara Cook. Uh, she's from our Trek FM's Primitive Culture, and we are going to be doing an episode review of Schisms. So listeners, if you'd like to watch that before next week, uh, then you'll be all caught up and be able to, well, Schisms, everyone knows Schisms, so just very excited to have Clara Cook come join us while Richard is away.
2: Yes, and- it, it will be great to have her. I think it'll be her first time on Earl yes. Grey, so that'll be great. Well, it's been so amazing talking with Lieutenant Barclay himself, Dwight Schultz. But that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM Previously on Trek.fm, The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast.
0: You're killing me. I'm going to pull my hair out if that happens, because I really do need to know.
2: What if, like,
3: <laughs> I just had a crazy idea. What if they get the captain in the first episode, but they continue on with these lower deck characters so well that we just never see the captain? And it's like like the teacher in Charlie Brown, like...
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: The 602 Club.
0: And I don't know that I would want much more humor in this movie. Right. I feel yeah. like this whole is, is, this is a survival story. Like this is her yes. surviving what's happening to her, not her controlling the situation like we see in future Tomb Raider movies where yep. she kind of controls what's happening. And res- and this is definitely a, uh, Laura Croft is responding to what's happening to her. Like the entire scene on the island is her trying to get
3: away. Warp 5. So the A plot is the dog, and the B plot is his infatuation with Zepal?
2: Well, there's actually kind of a C plot. Well, it's part of the A plot is of why um, Porthos is ill.
3: Okay, is it... Why is Porthos ill again? <laughs> I'm going to say this is definitely not essential. Is okay, I'm not saying that it's essential or not
2: essential. Continuing Mission.
3: Yeah, there's a certain concession with that, um, if you look at the, and, and you're, you know, the refit obviously is your example, for the director's cut remaster of Motion Picture, they added a few more CG shots they are quite hard to tell, because they painstakingly tried, you know, Foundation Imaging was really, really good at that, and they built a certain rig, and you know, it's lit, you know, the pylon's being lit from the ship itself, The, the there's the underlights, there's you know, like the registry and stuff. But actually, you are correct in a sense, a couple of the lights, especially on the nacelles, uh, don't actually come from a bulb. There's no practical way those lights can emanate from anywhere without magic.
2: And that's what else is happening on Trek.FM.
0: Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in the Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find our show.
3: If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, In most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the mp3 file from our website or grab the RSS link.
2: We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up.
0: If you'd like to send us an email, you can choose the form on our website. At Trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at Trek FM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. So Richard, where can people contact you when you're not playing <laughs> when you're not playing Cyrano de Bergiac?
2: <laughs> de Bergerac. I, I that was one of the ones that he plays in one of the plays, Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We know Cyrano. Well, they <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: they can find me um, on uh, Facebook. I pop in here and there on the Babel Conference. And um, I'm also on Twitter, yet lack thereof, presence. Um, uh, uh, and my handle is xransom. Justin, where can people contact you when you're not busy in the holodeck?
2: I'm sorry, do you want me for something? I'm really busy in the holodeck right you're now. You're yeah, late yeah, yeah. again. We, we could get you, we oh, could get God, you on I'm this sorry. maintenance schedule. I'm sorry, I'll be right on the bridge <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, currently tweeting out my season five rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So Amy, where can people contact you when you're not discussing physics problems with a holographic Albert Einstein?
0: Well, I am always there. He gives me tips for my teaching, you know. You, oh, nice. you can find me here on the network. I host The Edge with Brandon Shea Mutella. That's our uh, podcast for Discovery. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Nelson, But my favorite place is the Babel Conference there on Facebook.
3: If you'd like to help us keep all the shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Fm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com. FM,
0: and we like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers: Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you so much for supporting Trek FM and Earl Grey.
2: So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey.
3: Today is a good day to die. Great joy
0: and gratitude.
2: I look forward to your report, Mister Broccoli.